The Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome to my Christmas song. I'd like to thank you for the year. Thank you, Scott Geezy and Elton John, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the festive Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you as we get set for Christmas. Our friend Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio will join me a little bit later to discuss a variety of sports topics. My first guest just announced he had stepped down as head coach and general manager of the Albany Patroons. What's next for him? Let's ask Will Brown as he joins us now. Will, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. How are things going? Well, thanks for having me, Ken, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. And all is good on my end. Just looking forward to the holiday season, spending some time with family. Yeah. Well, you made the announcement last week that you were stepping down from the Patroons. The big question is why? Yeah, you know, great question. Um, You know, to be honest with you, uh, a little over a year ago, I thought this would be uh, a really good opportunity for me uh, to stay local, uh, coach the pro game, really learn uh, a new game. So this past year working with the Patroons, uh, I think was valuable for me from a growth and development standpoint. Uh, as a coach, I learned quite a bit, uh, you know, again, had to learn the nuances of the of the pro game and adapt and adjust accordingly which uh, I think I did had a great staff to work with uh, as well uh, but uh, you know if I'm being honest uh, you know I think right after the new ownership uh, transition um, you know I really started to get the itch to get back into the college game having been a college coach for 26 years and uh 23 um as a head coach uh you know i just started thinking more and more about you know the college game and my son uh started his season he plays over at sage for brian barnes and you know going to his games and watching all these games on on tv and you know i missed the college game while i was coaching with the patroons but i just started to miss it you know more and more um you know, the year the year away coaching the Patroons, you know, was good. Uh, a lot of that uh, was family related, which I can get into more in a, in a little bit. Uh, but I thought, you know, I did my job. Uh, I think from August to December, um, I tried to help the new ownership team with the transition. I think the organization is in a really good place right now. Uh, my goal was to revive the Patrons, get the community interested in the Patrons. And I think anytime you leave, you want to make sure that you're leaving it better um, than it was. And I think the Patrons are in that situation right now. And I'm confident uh, that they're going to do very well moving forward. The new ownership group uh, will do a tremendous job. And, you know, for me, the TBL season uh, starts right when the coaching carousel for college begins. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to do, Ken, was to 
leave the Patrons uh, early in the season or at any point uh, during a season. I had opportunities last year to do so, um, and I was not going to do it because it wasn't fair to the Patrons and it wasn't fair to the corporate sponsors that uh, I had asked to jump on board. So now I don't have to worry about that moving forward, and I can prepare myself for making that jump back into the college game. What was the experience like coaching a pro team? You I mean you got them to the finals, uh, basically a game away from winning, winning it all. Yeah, you know, what was that like, uh, and the adjustment of going from college to pro? Well, I, I think the the biggest adjustment for me was the rules of the pro game and adjusting my coaching style and my coaching mindset and my philosophy you know I had always been uh, a defensive coach we're going to defend we're going to rebound it's the old cliche that defense uh, travels and travels well meaning that you know you're not going to shoot the ball well every single night uh, but if you can rely on your defense and rebounding, you're still going to have a chance to win on those nights where you don't shoot well or your offense is not performing at the level that you that you had hoped. And then again, when you go on the road, it's even more difficult to shoot it well or at a high level. Um, so a lot of my beliefs defensively I had to tweak because you're dealing with an illegal defense uh, at the pro level. You're dealing with a wider lane uh, in the pro level. Uh, you really have to be creative with your ball screen defense at the professional level because probably 75 to 80% of what you see at the pro level is ball screen related. So I think that was a, a, a huge adjustment. And then the players. Uh, these are guys who are trying to make their livelihood from playing basketball. So when you have 12 guys on a roster, and let's just say, you know, your mindset as a coach, uh, you want to go with an eight or a nine-man rotation, you still have three or four guys that are not playing. And it's different than the college game because these guys are living and dying off every game, off their stats. You know, at the college level, you can convince the, the young kid that, hey, you have upperclassmen ahead of you. You have to wait your turn. Keep working. Keep developing. Your time is going to come. The pro level in the player's mind, their time is now and if they're not starting they're not happy if they're not scoring they're not happy if they don't have the, st uh, the stats they're not happy so for me it was all about hey trust the coaching staff do what we're asking you to do um you know the european scouts the g league scouts they are going to put a value on winning so maybe you could play for somebody else in the tbl and average 15 or 16 points a game and have flashier statistics but 
the eight points a game you're averaging with the Patroons is going to have more value to it because we're winning, we're doing things the right way, we're playing the right way, you're preparing the right way, we're breaking down video, we have scouting reports, and the experience of our coaching staff, you know, I think teams in the G League over in Europe are going to value that. So it's really about developing the trust, and I think it's a different type of trust than maybe at the college game. Um, You know, and also at the college game, you're getting a 17 or 18 year old kid and a lot of emphasis is put on making sure that when they leave your institution and your program as 22 year old young adults that you as a coach and, and your coaching staff have done everything that you can to make sure that they have grown and developed and they're more prepared um now to enter the real world and that they're prepared for society and so you become as I like to say um, a second family you're not replacing mom or dad or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa but you're actually spending almost uh, 10 months out of the year over a four-year period um, with these young kids at 18 and now they're young men at 22, you need to make an impact in their lives and you need to take that seriously. Pro coach, I need to, it's all about basketball 24-7. Now, I did my best to make sure that I un- our players understood what it meant to be a professional how to carry yourself, how to work. But when you only have these guys for three or four months, um, you're trying to help them improve, help them become a better professional, and then help them find a bigger and better job. So definitely different, but you do have an opportunity to impact lives, whether it's as a college coach or a pro coach, and that's something that I tried to do. What did you learn about yourself coaching the Patroons? And how can you apply that? to uh, when you return to college? I have no doubt that coaching the Patroons made me um, a better coach and prepared me even more to be a better, more efficient and productive uh, college coach because I think the one thing that I learned quickly um, is that my patience level needed to improve. I've always been impatient uh, just in general uh, as a person, as a coach, and that's something that I have always tried to work on. But I think as a professional coach, it, it, it just tests your patience a little more. You have to be more patient. I'm not used to coaching games that are 124 to 118, especially yeah. <laughs> when you value defense and rebounding and toughness. Um, and in, in our league, in the TBL, and this goes for a lot of professional leagues, you know, teams are trying to outscore each other so getting our players to trust me in regards that hey if we would embrace and value defense just a little bit we'll have a chance to win every time that we step on the floor but i think from a patient standpoint uh you know it it really helped me and then also from an offensive standpoint you have a 24 second uh shot clock Uh, a lot of the pro game is isolation one-on-one heavy so really just being 
creative and taking advantage of mismatches because a lot of defenses, whether it's schematic or out of convenience, I think it's a combination of both. I think you really need to understand who you're coaching against. Um, but taking advantage of mismatches because a lot of teams would just switch the ball screen or switch a staggered screen and you quickly needed to make sure that you punished teams for switching and taking advantage of mismatches. So I think a lot of that will help me become a better college coach as well. Well, Brown, you're seeing ahead. it more. You're seeing it more in the college game now. A lot of teams defensively, again, are switching more and more. Some of it, I think, uh, out of convenience, and some of it schematic. I've never wanted to be a coach that did anything out of convenience. I wanted to do it because I uh, think it's the most efficient way to do it for our team to be successful. Will Brown joining us here on the uh, Parting Shots podcast, and Will, you mentioned. Uh, a few months ago about family and uh, the importance of that. How important was it to stay with the platoons and, you know, because of the family? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, uh, Ken. Uh, having coached uh, at the college level for a long time at the Division One level for, for 20 years, you do an awful lot of traveling, recruiting, speaking engagements. You always feel like, you know, if you're not in the office, uh, you're at a disadvantage. Uh, and I always did my best uh, to try to be available for my wife, my two boys. And, you know, once I left Albany, um, it's different now because I was in a unique situation. Very rarely as a Division One head coach do you have the opportunity to coach at the same institution for 20 straight years. It doesn't happen that way. And when you look at the Jim Beheims of the world, there's not many of those guys. Usually what happens is you either get fired uh, – or you get a promotion and you move. So our family, um, when I took the job at Albany, we didn't have kids. You know, how about that? Yeah. You know, I didn't, we didn't have kids. So now when I leave Albany, you know, I have an 18-year-old who's heading off to college and I have a 10-year-old. So all they know is this area. And even my wife, all she knows is this area. We were very fortunate because college coaching, especially basketball and football, it's always about climbing that ladder and families are moving every couple of years and they're doing it all over the country. We never experienced any of that, and we were fortunate in that regard. So when I left, um, you know, Albany, it's like, okay, my family gave me everything for the last 20 years. In return now, what can I give my family? Because I've had many people, they're like, you've been to the NCAA tournament this time, this many times, you have this many postseason uh tournament invitations you should be able to get this job that job and maybe so maybe not but you know i had to sit down and take a deep breath and say okay what's in the best interest uh for our families not just about the next move and you know to make a long story short my um 
my older son, uh, who plays college basketball, he went off to SUNY Fredonia five and a half hours away, um, doing well, leading them in scoring the first semester. Uh, at the semester break, he decides he wants to come home five and a half hours away from his family. Um, he's used to playing high school basketball where after every game there's 20 or 30 people waiting to greet him after the game, whether he played well or he did not. He didn't have that out at Fredonia. What he had is a crazy father who would jump in his truck and drive five and a half hours out, watch a game, jump uh, back in his truck and drive five and a half hours back. My younger son was getting involved in the game, so he had practices. He had games. My wife um, was trying to establish herself in her career. Uh, She's the head of development uh, for an organization called to life, uh, a breast cancer organization. And so her job is to raise money and raise a lot of it. And so uh, for me, I made a commitment to the family that, you know what, I need to make sure that my older son coming back home, playing at Sage, let's get him situated, that he's comfortable with everything, give my wife an opportunity to establish herself and her career. She she enjoys what she does, and she's really good um, at what she does. So the Patroons made sense um, for everyone. Uh, It was good for me, don't get me wrong, because I learned an awful lot, but it uh, really... um, helped my family and now you know you fast forward to december um after some talks with uh mainly my wife uh, it was like hey i'm good with where i'm at in my career jackson my older son he's thriving at sage you know he's three eight academically he's their leading scorer right now at the break loves it Everybody goes to see him play, you know, 20 people at every college game at home. My little guy, there's continuity for him. So now, uh, and and literally it happened just a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, Ken, my wife sat down with me and she just said, hey, uh, you got the thumb up, you know, um, why don't you try to take advantage of the coaching carousel? It's going to begin uh, in February. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm okay if we uh, if we move. You know, please just keep us uh, east of the Mississippi if it's a situation that you think is a good one. And uh, but we're good. I think everybody's in a really good place right right now. So I'm in the process. I'll hire uh, an agent um, within the next week. That's the other thing. I, I've uh, I always did things backwards. Can uh, I probably had an agent for maybe six to seven years of my 26 years in coaching. And when I tell people that, they look at me like I'm crazy because in all reality, at the Division One level, uh, you need an agent to be able to get to the search firms and to get to the athletic directors. But the one thing that I'm not doing right now is um, I'm not pigeonhole. I'm not putting myself in a corner. I'm not going to pigeonhole myself and say, I have to be a division one head coach. The only thing that I've done, and it's just a decision that I made because I've been a head coach for the last 24 years now, when you count the Patroons, is I don't want to go be uh, an assistant 
at a high level division one program and that's what a lot of former head coaches at the college level division one coaches do they'll go be an assistant at a high level program and use that to catapult themselves back to a division one head coaching opportunity i just made the executive decision that um hey i don't want to go be an assistant been a been a head coach for a long time um I really took great pride in trying to make sure that I valued the assistants that worked for me, that I valued their time, that I made sure that, you know, they were able to spend a lot of time with their family, that I kicked them out of the office because I wanted them to have a life outside of coaching basketball. A lot of head coaches at the Division One level don't operate that way. It's 18 hours in the office, 365 days a year. Year, and I'm a big believer in balance. Uh, so uh, not knowing who you potentially could go work for just because you know a person, uh, knowing them and knowing them well, but working for, for them are two different things. But, you know, I had an opportunity. And I'm not going to get into the name of the school or wherever. I had a Big East opportunity right when um, I left Albany and just wasn't wasn't meant for me so uh getting a job at the division one level is hard there's only 300 plus uh, 300 plus of them um timing is everything and um you know but uh, i am not going to limit myself uh there's some really good non-division one head jobs out there there's some great coaches and players at the ncaa division one two and three levels um you know my i don't have an ego where it would get in the way to be uh to coach at the non-division one level it's all about the people uh and the resources you know i'm a competitor i want i want to win but ultimately i want to impact you know the lives of the young people that i'm working with on a daily basis and if i'd love to be in a situation where uh, i'm in an athletic department where i could mentor and help younger coaches grow and evolve but i'm also not going to limit myself just to college opportunities uh but that is my focus right now and that's the level that i think is best for me so you know that's a, a long answer for you but uh family's been so good to me that um you know this has got to be a team decision moving forward and we love this area so you don't want to rush out of this area you want to make informed decisions and uh you know that's where we're at right now well will i do appreciate your, your time and uh you always you always give thoughtful answers to my questions and you, you know, you, you answer some questions I don't even get a chance to ask. So I, I appreciate that. But uh, good luck with everything. Uh, I know you'll find something that you'll like and enjoy. And uh, when that happens, we'll talk again. Well, I appreciate, again, I appreciate you having me on. Glad you're feeling better. Thank and you. if I heard you right, I think Fred, my, my guy Freddie Coleman is on the same show today. Yes, he will be on. He's coming up next year here on the podcast. Uh, we I talked to him earlier in, uh, in the week. Uh, we had a nice conversation. Freddie's the best. Well, I'm going to shoot Freddie a text. I am absolutely honored to be on the same podcast with uh, with Freddie Coleman, and I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, and we'll talk soon. All right. Same to you, Will, and your family, and thank you again, and uh, good luck with the search. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's Will Brown, and as we mentioned, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is going to join me next here on the Party Shots Podcast. 
Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Tyler A. McNeil. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2023. All of us love sports, but not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette editor Miles Reed. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2023. Welcome back to the podcast, our friend Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio, the co-host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. on ESPN Radio joins us now. Freddie, welcome back to the podcast. And I got to, uh, first of all, wish you a happy birthday. You celebrated a birthday on Monday. I certainly did, and I appreciate those well wishes and those glad tidings, my friend. Yeah, 57 years young, and we'll see if I live another 57 more. <laughs> Leo, let's do that. We'll, we'll do this in 57 years from now. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, we saw a wild NFL weekend uh, this past weekend. You know, the Vikings come back from down 33-0 to beat the Colts 39-36 in overtime, and we witnessed maybe one of the most improbable endings probably since the miracle of the Meadowlands uh, <laughs> you know, between the Patriots and Raiders here with that uh, – uh, the lateral that turned into a touchdown for the Raiders. Let's start with that game. I mean, the botched lateral. I mean, how stunning and crazy was that watching that? I don't think we can put into words, Ken, about something that nobody has ever seen before in the history of football, where you had not one but two players deciding to lateral the football when all they do is just take a knee after Ramondre Stevenson got as far as he could and just play for overtime because you weren't going to get anywhere near the end zone. But as 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 bad as his lateral was, Jacoby Myers was worse because he was able to drift back, then throw the football further back, and then Chandler Jones snags it out of the air. And poor Mac Jones, I'm sure he saw his life flash before his eyes, <laughs> where he sees the ball coming back out, and Chandler Jones has it. He tries to make the tackle, and quarterbacks are not good tacklers because if you are, you can't be playing quarterback. It's one of those things you say to yourself, you always will remember what you were doing and where you were when you have to remember about that play because that's an all-timer in the history of the NFL. Yeah, my son and I, we're going to a sports bar in Latham to watch the Eagles game against the Bears. And we got home, we watched NFL Red Zone. We're just sitting on the couch watching, and all of a sudden we see this play, and my son just is going nuts. I mean, and the funny thing is, yeah, Kenny Albert calling the game on Fox, you know, just before the uh, Jacoby Myers uh, lateral, he says the Stanford band's not on the field. And as soon as he said that, the, all of a sudden everything, all hell broke loose. And I mean, just, uh, just an amazing. I mean, it's particularly for a head coach in Bill Belichick who always preaches, do your job. Somebody somebody didn't do their job. Uh, you know, whether it's Belichick not re- informing these guys, just you know, taking the or not the lateral of the ball. I mean, how, I mean, how strange would that to see a Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick coach team fall apart? 
Well, we've seen that the last couple of years where the players and the schemes aren't working to the Patriot way that Bill Belichick is used to seeing that happen. But I'm not going to put that play on Bill Belichick because that's a clear case of two players panicking and trying to do something because I guarantee you, and he talked about situational football, that's not situational football that he was talking about. But players are going to be in situations at times, Ken, where it's going to panic. But the bigger picture question of Bill Belichick is, how do you get this going back in the other direction? Because we've clearly seen that his arrogance and his Patriot way, the way that he's been able to win, that's not going to work in modern football. You need dudes. And if you believe you have a quarterback as a dude, you're not doing him any favors when it comes to Mac Jones by not having the right kind of weapons on the outside or having the right kind of guy calling plays. Yeah. Matt Patricia was a failure as a head coach of the Detroit Lions, and Bill Belichick probably thinking, well, if we can make this work with anybody, you can't do that when you believe you have a quarterback. But that quarterback, I'm sure right now, is probably thinking they're not doing anything possible to make sure I can be maximized and that this is going to be a maximum effort and maximum results. And right now you got a lot of ROI return on investment, especially because of Matt Patricia calling the plays on offense for the Patriots. Yeah, I have to make my obligatory mention that Matt Patricia is a graduate of RPI here in, in the capital <laughs> region. So uh, anyway, it's just, you know, that's strange to me. Matt Patricia should not be should be calling plays on defense, not offense. Yeah, there's no doubt about that because he did have that kind of acumen to do that. But Bill Belichick's son is running the defense. You're not going to move your son out of the way for Matt Patricia. You're not going to make him a quality control assistant. And if I'm the New England Patriots, no matter what happens the rest of the regular season, whether you make the playoffs or you don't make the playoffs, Ken, my first call the minute that the season is over is to Alabama see if Bill O'Brien wants to come back to the NFL and be the offensive coordinator because we know he can dial up an offense. He can dial up plays. He's going to help your quarterback. This Matt Patricia experiment should only be a one-year experiment. And we'll see if Bill Belichick decides to give Matt Patricia one more year because if he does, I know if I'm Mac Jones, I'm thinking, well, I guess Christmas is not coming this year. I don't know if I'm going to go through another year of this where it's going to be a lot of frustration setting in because Matt Patricia, it's not so much, so much about calling plays, Ken. It's when you can call those plays and what kind of play design you can come up with in those key moments. And he's clearly been lacking in that all season long as a Patriots offensive coordinator play caller. Yep. I mentioned the uh, Colts Vikings game. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one. And you got to feel bad for Matt Ryan. I mean, it's not his fault. The defense yeah. decides to give up 39 points in the second half and then overtime. Uh, but the Vikings, to me, you know, they're 11 and 3. Yeah, they won the NFC North. But this team, to me, I think is a fraud because they're eight games over 500, but have outscored their opponents by two points. That, that's impossible to do. It's especially in the NFL where it's an offensive showcase, even though scoring is down in the NFL by an average of close to six points a game. And I'm with you, it comes to Minnesota Vikings, but I will say this. If they don't survive in advance in the playoffs, we can't put that on Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins played really well. You can't have bottom-of-the-floor defense when it comes to Minnesota. Right now, they're the worst defense statistically in the NFL when it comes to yards giving up per game at close to 400 yards. Kirk Cousins has done his job, but you're exactly right. You look at this Vikings team, and they don't pass the eye test, and they never have passed the eye test. And I go back to that game they had against the Detroit Lions early in the season where Detroit was just kicking it behind and taking names, and Detroit let them get away, and Detroit said that won't happen again. And the second time they played, Detroit ran away and hit from that team because they can't stop anybody when it comes to the defensive side of the football. So I give them credit. You win 11 games. Games are hard to win in the National Football League. I'm not going to undermine that record when it comes to Minnesota Vikings. But they got into it against the real team. We've seen it three times 
Dallas this year. They played a real team against Philadelphia, lost that game. Played a real team in Dallas and got the blood beaten out of 40 to 3. And they played a team in the Detroit Lions, one of the highest teams in the NFL, and they couldn't stand up. And they were lucky, to be honest with you, Ken, that they survived the New York Jets game. Yeah. If Barrios catches that pass in the end zone, the Jets win that ball game, and that's going to be that for Minnesota. And then the Indianapolis Colts inexplicably give them a 33 nothing lead at halftime. So we can look at so many places and so many games and say, man, this team may have 11 wins, but realistically, they're at best an eight set, a 7-8 win team right now in the NFL. Yeah. Well, one team is not a fraud or my Philadelphia Eagles. 13-1. and uh, they, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, has a sprained shoulder. He has not been ruled out yet for Saturday's game against the uh, Cowboys in the NFC East uh, showdown. Uh, I mean, personally, I hope Hurts does not play. I mean, the Eagles have, are up three with three to go against, uh, to, you know, with, against the Cowboys. So, I, I'm okay with him sitting this Saturday. If the Eagles don't win the game, fine. I mean, and of course, you know, Jalen Hurts, to me, is the MVP in the league this year. But you your reporters, I mean, some ESPN guys also, they're picking apart his game. Always oh, a system guy. I mean, Micah Parsons, the Cowboys, was even talking about that, which uh, Micah Parsons, hello, you had a game against Jacksonville before you played Philadelphia. You should be thinking about Jacksonville, not Jalen Hurts. But – what are your thoughts about uh, Jalen Hurts and the job he's done this year? Well, he's done a fantastic job, and mainly because it's a dumb narrative to say that he's a system quarterback. Well, if that's the case, then so is Joe Montana, so is Patrick Mahomes, so is Josh Allen. You put stuff in called installs, and it's a system that you believe in, whether it's on both sides of the football. Micah Parsons is a system linebacker. Lawrence Taylor was a system linebacker. That should not dilute or pick apart their greatness, what they've been able to do. So when people try to put that out there, system quarterback, it just makes my eyes bleed hearing that, Ken, because it's ridiculous. Everybody plays in system and how do you make that system work whether it's the west coast offense whether it's the run and shoot offense if you have terrific players and they make that system better that's all that matters and Jalen Hurts is not running anything different than we've seen at other levels for example there are a lot of things that the Philadelphia Eagles do that the Jacksonville Jaguars do that Trevor Lawrence may have stepped that up in the first year Doug Peterson as his head coach there are a lot of things that Kansas City does a little of those RPO things even though Patrick Mahomes does not run the ball as much as Jalen Hurts but for somebody to say he's a system quarterback within every by a system quarterback in the NFL. He's been that terrific, not just running the football, but also throwing the football, making those plays, and give the Eagles, Harry Roseman, the general manager, a lot of credit by putting those kind of weapons around him. When you bring in an A.J. Brown, you draft a Devontae Smith, that offensive line right now, for my money, is the best offense in football, led by Kelsey in the middle of the center, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. So if you want to dissect Jalen Hurts' game, then dissect what you believe what he can't do. But don't use the system quarterback thing as a means to an end with your argument, because you can lose me with that when it comes to Jalen Hurts or anybody that's been successful in any system in the NFL. Yeah. Well, the NFL is relevant again in East Rutherford, New Jersey. The Giants have a great shot of making the playoffs, and the Jets, I mean, still in the hunt. Uh, your thoughts on those two teams? It's amazing that if you're Daniel Jones, you're probably saying to yourself, oh, so this is what a good coach looks like because he had not had that in the NFL. And the minute that the Giants hired Brian Dable, I said, that's a really good hire because he, he not only knows players, but he knows people. And you see how hard the Giants have played for him each and every Sunday. And a lot of people did not think they could go into Washington and win that game. But Kayvon Thibodeau was so good defensively. I thought he really set the tone by the Giants were going to play. And once again, Daniel Jones played a mistake-free football game. Mm-hmm. He didn't put his defense on the short field. He didn't put his offense in bad positions, so give him a lot of credit that he's earned his way to find a way to get a contract from the Giants and still be their quarterback for the next two 
to three years. The New York Jets is not as simple as their 7-7 seven and seven record. They've had a lot of tough losses, including the one on Sunday versus the Detroit Lions. But now they have to add to answer this question, what are they going to do about Zach Wilson? He's going to start on Thursday because Mike White does not have bruised ribs. He has fractured ribs. You can't put him out there in harm's way when he has that kind of injury. But Zach Wilson, it was wonderful that he had over 300 yards passing, Ken. He did have two touchdowns, but there's always something missing with him. He had that back pick in the third quarter. He had a lot of lifts that, once again, he missed that could have sustained drives and kept drives going. But Jets can have a lot of interesting questions to answer regarding him because if Mike White, when Mike White is healthy, you're probably going to have to put him back in the lineup. You made that commitment to him. But in the offseason, what are you going to do with you the Jets? Do you stick with Zach Wilson another year and hope that works? Or has he already told you that he can't play at this level? He can't be a successful quarterback at this level? And do you go out to Jimmy Garoppolo? Do you go out to Derek Carr in the offseason? Those kind of things, I can wait to see exactly what kind of answers to those questions that all starts at a quarterback because they have everything else, Ken. Their offensive line is really good. Their wide receivers are terrific. Their defense is outstanding. They're just missing that piece of quarterback, and you got to make sure that if he's the answer, you better make sure that he is going to be the answer because if he's not, you got to go find somebody else in the offseason. Freddie Coleman joining us on the um, Farting Shots podcast. And uh, should Tom Brady have stayed retired? Oh, my God, absolutely, because I wondered why he decided to come back. And it can't be easy for somebody, Ken, who has had himself associated with football in the fall since he was like eight years of age. And I go back to Brett Favre. When Brett Favre finally retired, I said, man, that's got to be a scary proposition, that when you wake up that first Sunday in September and you're not playing a football game, that can be very debilitating mentally to anybody that's been around football. And Tom Brady's played longer football than Brett Favre. And especially with everything that's gone on in his personal life, that's the one thing that he can always find as a sanctuary. But we can put on the offensive line. The offensive line's been terrible all year because they've been banged up and been beating up and wide receivers dropping footballs on him, but he just does not look like the same guy. He doesn't look like a confident guy. And if you're Tom Brady, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Okay, I decided to come back for one year. Was it a mistake? And then the next question is, Ken, do I want to do this again? Tom Brady seems to be the kind of guy that he does not want the last year of his football career to look like what we've seen in 2022, where he's looked like a washed-up quarterback at times, and that offense has not helped him at all. So if he decides to come back for one more year, it can't be about him being a messiah or being a savior. That team has to help him, which means you need a running game, you need an offensive line, and you need a defense. And plenty of teams out there already have their quarterbacks that can fit that role. If you decide to come back one more year and stay in Tampa Bay, then how's that going to look where you're hoping that you can get the right kind of offensive lineman but could be more of a rebuilding mode than a reloading mode when it comes to Tampa Bay if he decides to come back one more year? Of course, he already has his uh, post-career, uh, uh, playing career lined up with a job at Fox Sports as an analyst at Penn I guess they'll probably put him in a booth with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. That would be an interesting threesome in the booth. Well, if you put it this way, you're bringing Tom Brady in. Greg Olson's not going to be there because I don't get this. I don't get this as Tom Brady is going to be sharing that stage with anybody. He can be that every man, but a lot of people are going to tune in that broadcast to hear what Tom Brady has to say and if he can say it properly. So I can't foresee that if he's going to be part of their number one team, that means Greg Olson probably gets bumped down to the number two team, which is the same because Greg Olson is really good. We don't know if Tom Brady's going to be any good. He could be Tony Romo. That could be the case, or he could be Jason Witt. Well, there's not going to be an in-between there when it comes to Tom Brady and what he's going to do in the broadcast booth. But you can best believe it's not going to be part of a three-man booth. It's going to be Kevin Burkhardt and him and nobody else sharing that spotlight there. Yeah. What team could make things interesting in the NFL playoffs? 
Oh, the San Francisco 49ers, because I know they have Brock Purdy as Mr. Irrelevant as their quarterback, but they got those bloodthirsty pirates on defense, and that's the best defense in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan's one of the outstanding coaches and play callers in the National Football League, and he's allowed Brock Purdy to not only play well, but give him confidence that he can go out there and play well. Not too many teams can lose two quarterbacks, including one that got a team to the Super Bowl, and, and you look at them and say, yeah, that team's going to figure it out, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. So on that side of the NFC, they're going to make things interesting. On the other side of the AFC is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. Everybody's looking at Kansas City and they're looking at Buffalo. But the Cincinnati Bengals aren't that far behind both of those teams. They got a quarterback in Joe Burrow that loves pressure situations and has thrived in pressure situations, whether he won the national championship at LSU and getting his team to the Super Bowl in Cincinnati last year. That running game has really improved with Joe Mixon coming back. That's the Maji P. Ryan, where they really become a run first team at times and pushing people up the line of scrimmage. The defense is forcing turnovers left and right lately. That's a team that if they draw Buffalo or Kansas City in the second round of the divisional playoffs, that'll be a very interesting game. We may get a preview of that when the Bills and Bengals get together later on before the regular season is over. Let's talk a little baseball. I mean, the Mets made a lot of moves uh, revamping their pitching staff. Uh, the Yankees uh, keep Aaron Judge. Let's start with the Mets and the pitching staff. I know you, you like the Mets. Uh, did you like what they did? You know, signing Verlander, signing Senga, and then letting DeGrom, uh, Walker, and uh, Bassett go. Yeah, well, if DeGrom wasn't going to resign anyway. He had made that clear by opting out of his contract before the end of the season. He already told the New York Mets that he was not going to resign with them. And the price tag was too much for Bassett and Tawan Walker. So I clearly understand that if you're going to give those guys that kind of money, do you actually believe they can do something in the playoffs when you get there? You don't have to have that question with Justin Verlander. I know he's an old pitcher, but anybody has a 1.74 ERA like he did last year, he can still pitch a little bit and be a co-ace of your staff with Max Scherzer, who's looking to bounce back from what he was not able to do at the end of the year. The New York Mets were able to say, okay, we lose Jacob DeGrom, but we got a fortified pitching staff. And Lord knows they have the money to do it. Steve Cohen has that kind of cash flow where he does not mind paying for a winner. And this team won 101 games last year, Ken. Jacob DeGrom was only responsible for five of those wins. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying you're not losing anything, but as not as if it's going to have that much of a drastic effect with them not being part of that pitching staff. Now, if you're the New York Mets, you believe you got those frontline starters. You bring back Diaz, who's a wipeout, not lights out closer. You got to we got to make sure the middle relief is going to be able to stand up to get him the ball in the ninth inning, and then the offense. They have to be better offensively in terms of stringing at bats together and having that kind of rhythm. They were so good at taking advantage of mistakes when it came to opposing teams and opposing pitchers. But those two things don't happen in back-to-back -back years. you got to find a way to be able to hit that long ball and to have those big innings and those crooked numbers. Because at times when they did that, they were able to put themselves ahead of people. But when they struggled, it wasn't just a one- or two-game thing. It seemed to last a lot longer than that. And that is something with the new pitchers bringing in that the New York Mets better avoid. Yeah, well, it's going to be, and at least it's going to be very interesting with the Mets, Braves, and my Phillies. Of course, my Phillies got to the World Series. I mean, I think that Annalise will probably be the best division in baseball. Oh, there's no doubt about that because you know the Braves are going to be good and the Nationals won't stay down for long. The Miami Marlins, they hope they're building something and they've been able to have a lot of young talent in their farm system. The two teams you mentioned when it came to the Phillies and the Mets. And the best part about that division, everybody can't stand each other. It's like a complete, complete, a, a complete a shape of hate yes. when it comes to NLEs. Usually other divisions, you have two teams that can't stand each other, like the Cardinals and Cubs in one division, or Dodgers and Padres in another division. I think the closest division that comes to hate, 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 hate is the AL least because the Yankees can't stand the Red Sox, the Red Sox can't stand the Rays, the Rays can't stand the Orioles, and the Orioles can't stand the Yankees. Yeah. But it's not as that kind of intense level that you see with seemingly every NL East game. And these teams play each other 19 times a year. There's a lot of time to build up a lot of animosity 
velocity that we're going to see in 2023 in the NL East. Well, we mentioned Aaron Judge and the Yankees. Uh, Judge bet on himself uh, this past season and won. Yeah, sets the AL record for home runs with 62. And I, now, do you think he'll be able to live up to his new deal? Oh, God, no, because there's no one, no one can expect Aaron Judge to hit 62 home runs again because if it was so easy, everybody would have done it more often by now. So I don't think anybody's going to put that kind of pressure on Aaron Judge. To me, it's all about the playoffs. This Yankees organization has not won a World Series since 2009, and right now it's going on 13 years, about to go on 14 years. If you're the New York Yankees, what are you going to do that now you have Aaron Judge? What kind of protection can you have for him in the lineup? And not just when it comes to hitting, Ken, but you got to be better pitching. Jericho's got to be better in the playoffs and at times you got to be better in the regular season that bullpen cannot be up and down what we saw at times so you bring in Aaron Judge he's going to be the Yankee captain he's going to be that guy replacing Derek Jeter but you New York Yankees it can't just be swing or miss when it comes to playoff baseball the Astros have shown that we can hit the long ball but we can extend innings by moving the runners ahead and doing those kind of things that is something the New York Yankees have failed to do you can get away with that yet the line that they had in the late 90s or 2000s you cannot get away with that line. That's a lot of swinging and missers, especially in key situations, the key at-bats in the playoffs. We'll wrap this up with uh, NBA talk. What's intriguing you in the NBA so far this season? How good the Eastern Conference is, because you look at the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, Ken. You have Milwaukee, number one. The Celtics a half game behind. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers, two games behind. Those are the only three teams with at least 20 wins so far in the NBA. And I never thought we would say that about three teams being in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks have been improved. They won seven in a row, including six on the road. They're starting to find their way. The Brooklyn Nets, now that Kyrie Irving has kept it quiet and shut up. He's playing basketball. <laughs> and Kevin Durant's doing his thing. They're going to be really, really good when it comes right down to it. I mentioned those three teams, Milwaukee, Boston. Austin and Cleveland, and also you have other teams like the Indiana Pacers. They've been a terrific surprise. Ben Matherin, their rookie out of Arizona, has been unbelievably good. So that's the one thing that has really jumped out to me. And yet you got the injuries with Steph Curry with Golden State, and as Herm Edwards calls Anthony Davis, he calls him King Cotton because he's the softest cotton balls, so he's always <laughs> going to be injured the Los Angeles Lakers. But you look at the Eastern Conference for the first time, we can say it out loud and no one will laugh at you, that the Eastern Conference is better than the Western Conference by all the teams I mentioned in the three best records in the NBA. They reside in Boston, Milwaukee, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I love Herm Edwards. Tells it like it is. I mean, you know, I missed him the last couple of years when he was coaching the Arizona State, but I'm glad he's back at ESPN. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and yeah, especially when he's a Lakers fan. He's so mad at Anthony Davis. I thought his eyeballs going to roll out of his head at the rear miss Anthony Davis being injured once again. <laughs> well, Freddie, I appreciate this, and uh, have a great Christmas, you and your family. Uh, enjoy. You know, We'll talk again in the new year, and uh, thanks for doing this. My pleasure, kid. You have a great holiday. Your family as well, my friend, and you take care and be well. Thank you. That's Freddie Coleman. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Natasha Von Holdridge. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2023. High school sports don't just happen. There's a ton of work that goes into every single athletic event. And we have our school's athletic director to thank for a lot of it. Thank you. For scheduling officials so I can always play the game I love. For ordering quality athletic equipment so I can stay safe on the field. For mentoring my coaches so they can be the best role models for me. For coordinating transportation so I can get focused for the big game. For helping us develop character 
and learn lessons that will benefit us for the rest of our lives. Thank you to our AD for always creating a positive experience for us. We'll never forget it. From all of us at the NIAAA, thank you to every athletic administrator in New York for all you do to enrich the lives of your students. It does not go unnoticed. This message presented by the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports reporter Will Sprinstead. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2023. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 15 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest was Bob Farstad of Schenectady. Bob wins a $100 Hannaford gift card. Congratulations, Bob. The VIP winner was Nick Playtell of Grand Premier Tires. I went 11-5 last week. I am 141-81-2. I am three games behind You Pick'em leader Andrew Krounce of Glenville Beverage. My Gazette colleague Adam Schinder also went 11-5. He is 134, 88, and 2. I'll announce the winner of the You Pick em Football Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick em Football banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID 19 is affecting us in the Capital Region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Will Brown and Freddie Coleman for coming on the show. Next week, I'll be joined by my Daily Gazette colleagues as we look back at the big local sports events of 2022. And we'll also have a Union Hockey podcast as the Dutchman gets set for home games against New Hampshire on December 30th and December 31st. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, and Darling Love, take it away.